Remember, remember the 5th of November. This is episode 4 of Interrobang Podcast, produced by Interrobang Books in Dallas, Texas. On this week's show, we have an interview with David Abrams, author of Brave Deeds, the story of six American soldiers who go off the grid in Iraq to honor their fallen leader. You'll also hear bookseller recommendations from children's book buyer Lisa Plummer and gift buyer Nora Brannon. Lori Feathers, our adult book buyer, will tell us about how a classic book can make reading a contemporary book more enjoyable. To wrap it up, I'll tell you about the excellent events we'll have in the store in the coming days. You can find events, new releases, articles, and book recommendations on our website, www.interrobangbooks.com. David Abrams was on duty in the Army for more than 20 years, winning the 1994 Department of Defense Military Journalist of the Year. In 2005, he was deployed to Iraq with the 3rd Infantry Division in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. His debut novel, Fobbit, a fictionalized account of life behind the front lines of war, was met with critical acclaim, and his new book, Brave Deeds, was released in August of this year. Here's our Skype conversation from earlier this week. David Abrams, thank you for joining us for Interrobang Podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Jack. I'm really looking forward to visiting the store soon. Let's dive right in. Can you give us the situation of Brave Deeds? Sure. So in my new novel, Brave Deeds, it's set in the mid-2000s, somewhere around 2005, 2006. Uh, It's set in Baghdad during Operation Iraqi Freedom, otherwise known as the Iraq War. Um. And it concerns six soldiers, uh, six six enlisted men who are uh, traveling from one side of the city to the other on foot. And the reason that they're doing that, um, it's kind of an unofficial mission that they're on. Um, their beloved platoon sergeant, uh, Sergeant Rafe Morgan, uh, was killed in a bomb attack um, just a few days earlier. And there's going to be a memorial service for him to honor his life and his service on the other side of Baghdad at another uh, U.S. outpost there. Uh, The kicker is uh, these six soldiers, uh, his soldiers, have been told that they cannot attend the memorial service. They're told that they have to work that day. And so they make the rash decision to steal a Humvee, uh, go AWOL, and go go over to the memorial service no matter what their commander says. Uh, Well, the best best laid plans of mice and men uh, go awry soon after they start, and that's where the book picks up. Uh, their Humvee breaks down, and uh, then they have to go the rest of the way on foot with no maps and uh, no radio no and no cell phones. Um, it's just them against the city. You have an excellent blurb on the front of it that, that compares it to the Odyssey, which is not a small torch to carry. But there certainly is an additional quality to it, you know, going through these sometimes absurd, sometimes dangerous situations one after the other. How many of these situations did you personally experience when you were overseas? And how many were situations that are either hypothetical or situations that you've heard of happening? I was mostly a um, headquarters bound soldier who never really got out 
into the fight, so to speak. I spend all my time in, in the comforts of air conditioning and sitting at a computer terminal. But that doesn't mean to say that I, I certainly can't write about, as we call them, the people out on patrol. They, they were out there kicking down doors and winning the hearts and minds. So uh, I certainly uh, know about those types of soldiers and worked with them. And I think any of the uh, any of the situations that I kind of threw at my men, of course, of the novel, uh, a lot of them uh, did come out of my imagination. There might have been a few of them that were kind of inspired by actual events, but that's been about 10 years now, and it's been kind of buried deep in my subconscious. So uh, I don't know if I could point to any one scene in the book that is based on reality necessarily. But I guess the short answer to your question is I came up with these, you know, whole cloth out of my imagination. And part of that, as you described, pretty easy for you to connect it back to your first book, Fobbit, since Fobbit was kind of a Catch-22-esque uh, description of war without the war, the absurdity of life when you're at war, but not really doing what people think war looks like. What exactly, how exactly do these six characters relate to those who are overseas with them, but not uh, on the front lines? And how do they relate to the image of them that their friends and family have of them back home? Well, that's a, that's a really good question, Jack. I guess the first part of it would be Brave Deeds is sort of the flip side of Fobbit. My first book, Fobbit, concerned, like you said, a lot of characters there just kind of huddled around the flagpole, as we say. And they stayed back in the, in the safety of the air conditioning in their cubicles um, and rarely, if ever, got out into the fight. And then here in Brave Deeds, we're, we're seeing what happens when you get out into the fight. So there is the kind of this, this divide, whether it's artificial or natural, between fobbits and the folks who are, who are more in the combat arms uh, professions who are out there doing it. So there is kind of this divide, is these two classes, if you will, of, of soldiers and, and military uh, members. And, you know, certainly in Brave Deeds, they have no love for fobbits. Um, and I think they even say at a couple points, you know, they kind of refer to the, to the fat fobbits back at headquarters. So, so there's that. So there's, there's kind of two, two sides of the war that I've been exploring in these two books. Sure. And a lot of these characters, they have various motivations for being at war. They have various relations to their families back home. For example, one of the characters, oh, one of the major qualities of this character is, is his ongoing attachment to his wife or his, his, his wife who has left him. You know, how, how exactly do soldiers, in, as they are going into combat, or at least the soldiers in this book, how do they use their memories or expectations of home to power through uh, terrible or uh, otherwise impossible situations? I think anybody who, who goes to war is going to be thinking not only of the mission at hand and and what's right in front of them and how do they react out of that situation, but also they're going to be thinking of home a lot. Uh, In my case, I thought of my wife and my kids practically on a constant basis over there. So they're always there in the back of your mind, kind of like kind of like that character of O. And they can be a distraction, as we saw in the character of O in the book, or they could be like one of the other characters, Specialist Arrow, who is just kind of glad to be leaving his home back in the United States and and getting away from his family. In fact, he's had such a a bad relationship with his parents, uh, they don't even know he's in Iraq at this point. So there are a lot of different backgrounds to these characters, just as there are a lot of different backgrounds to anybody uh, entering military service. We, we're all we all bring our own baggage uh, with us when we come to when we come to war. Many of these characters they're they're pretty explicit about their motivations for being at war. They're not necessarily being there purely for love of country, purely because they believe in the American mission in Iraq. 
but for economic reasons, needing a job, uh, needing a steady source of income, while others do have that explicit motivation to do well by their country and to, to make a difference. How do these different motivations affect their, the character's response to the trauma that they undergo over the course of this book? I think they're all going to be bringing something different uh, to this experience and in particular to this eight hour window of walking across Baghdad. And, you know, the novel is kind of a tightly plotted scenario that takes place in, in the course of a day. So they're going to have different reactions to the same event. I think people join the service and, and I think they stay in the service for, for various various reasons. In my case, I joined way back in the mid 80s simply to have a job, like you said. I was working a job as a, as a journalist on a newspaper here in Montana, and it wasn't paying enough. And I had a wife, uh, and uh, I had two kids, and one on the way at the time, and a bunch of student loans. So I joined the military purely for financial reasons. Uh, a lot of people, especially as we saw after 9-11, a lot of people uh, joined up for more patriotic reasons, for love of country. Not that I don't love my country, certainly, but, but that wasn't primary motivating factor in, in joining the military. So, and I, I just know if I had been out there on the street with, with Arrow and O and Cheever and all the rest, I would have, I would have been a, I would have been a seventh character. I would have been doing something probably different than even these guys do. I, I probably would have been the coward of the group, to be honest. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I could have done a lot of the things that they did on this, on this walk across Baghdad. Maybe not the cower, but certainly the screw-up of this bunch. His name is Cheever, as you mentioned. Something that is interesting about this book is that it explores not only the surface of his screw-ups, most notably a screw-up that actually sends them on the foot march of this mission, but more so the book explores the reasons underneath the surface. And we find out that he has a pretty significant self-loathing that is driving him not just to suicidal urges, but also in a, a greater sense, with a greater sense of his own near mortality. I'm wondering, how does such a character or how does such a person overcome such self-loathing to support his fellow soldiers? And if other soldiers are aware of that self-destructive tendency, can they really trust him in combat? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think I think Cheever is kind of the outcast. You know, he's a little bit overweight. He's slow. And at the very beginning of the book, we, we kind of open with him uh, complaining about blisters. He's, he's been walking and, and he's already got blisters. Uh, whereas if the others have blisters, uh, they just kind of suck it up and drive on. So, so from the start, you know, Cheever's kind of a, a whiny guy. He's kind of an outsider. And yet, like you said, he, he's got this self-loathing and He's kind of suicidal, so he, out of all the six of them, is probably closest to death as far as you know having his mind in the right place. I think that he's really self-aware that the end could come anytime soon uh, for him and for all, all six of them. So I don't really address that explicitly, but it's just kind of there as kind of the subtext. And I think that the others do kind of tend to shun him. They kind of treat him as, a, you know, like I said, as an outsider. So I think that's going to definitely impact the uh, dynamic of the group as they're walking. I'm interested in this and other stories, both from the Gulf conflict and from the 2003 Iraq war, of the question of how motivation plays into effect when you have what is what we call an entirely volunteer army. 
Last week, we had Mark Bowden in the store, who most recently wrote about the Vietnam War. And the character of the army at the time in the Vietnam conflict was completely different, not just from the situation of the conflict, but also from the fact that uh, more than a third of the soldiers there were drafted and were not there on a volunteer basis. How has the American war story changed as we've moved toward a volunteer army? And how does the, the subject of motivation change from conflict to conflict? Yeah, that's a good question. I think today's modern army, uh, the all-volunteer army, I was going to say they're a little more professional, but I certainly don't want to disparage anybody who's been in any conflicts um, where, where they've been drafted. But, but you do have people who have made uh, the military a career. Um, I mean, as you have you know, throughout the years, but especially now, people that are in the military, they're looking at this as a long-term thing. It could be decades rather than years that they're going to be in this profession. And so they're bringing that mindset of this is a job. And I think when they have that mindset in the modern army, they sometimes get a little, I think they get a little comfortable and maybe even a little complacent about the nature of war because it's just another job. Whereas if you're drafted, it's a big deal. You know, this is not something that you wanted to do necessarily. Um, you're getting being sent to a, a country that you never wanted to visit or never thought you would visit. And you're engaging in acts that you certainly never thought that you would be doing, i.e., trying to kill another person who's trying to kill you. So there so there are different approaches I think that we bring from a from a draft force as all the way to a volunteer force. So I, I think those are some of the things that uh, kind of I think that we should kind of bear in mind. Well and, and related to this question, there's an important debate about the role of war stories in our culture and whether or not all soldier stories are either pro or anti war. How would you characterize brave deeds? And are all stories about war inherently either anti-war or pro-war? I think it's going to be really hard to put uh, war stories into one camp or another. Just as we as human beings are very complex, I'm complex as a writer, and you as a reader are complex. So we're going to be bringing different things to the material, say, the, the one, bo uh, one book. You could read it, you know, if you were in a certain mindset, I guess you could read Brave Deeds as very pro-war. And, you know, this is what we should be doing. Or if you're in a different mindset, maybe you're thinking, ah, see, you know, maybe we shouldn't be at war. And here's proof. So I think a, a, a book like Brave Deeds and especially Fobbit are just kind of a mixed salad of emotions and a mixed salad of attitudes towards the war. I think that stems in large part from me as a, as a person having conflicted emotions about the military. Uh, like I said, I was in for two decades, but I never considered myself a, a real soldier soldier. And I always kind of felt like Cheever, a little bit like an outsider. But I, I don't know if it's possible to characterize, especially brave deeds, into one camp or another. David Abrams, thank you so much for joining us for Interrobank Podcast. Thanks. It's been a real pleasure, Jack. That was my interview with David Abrams, author of Brave Deeds. Catch David at Interrobing Books next Friday, November 10th at 7 p.m. Next, here's children's book buyer Lisa Plummer and gift buyer Nora Brannon with some books to be excited about. Every so often, a book comes along that is so special that it has the potential of becoming a classic, or at the very least, bring joy, laughter, and a priceless life lesson to countless children and adults. I want to tell you about one such book, and that is a new one called The Wolf, the Duck, and the Mouse, written by Mac Barnett and illustrated by John Clausen. The story opens, like many children's books, with a mouse going about his day in the woods. 
But then something surprising happens when he is gobbled up by a wolf. Now that may not sound like a great start to a book that one would want to read to a child, but wait, we are just getting started. With a nod to Moby Dick, and through humor and perfect storytelling, the lessons of making the best of a bad situation and lending a hand to someone who has perhaps not given us a hand, friendships and relationships are forged and happily ever after occurs once more. I'd like to talk to you today about the Sullivan Street Bakery Cookbook by Jim Leahy. For anyone looking for dessert pastries, this book is probably not for you. Of the nine sections, only two are dedicated to sweets, one for breakfast and one for dessert. The majority of the recipes reflect the savory items found in his shop. The rustic and crusty Pugliese bread with its dark caramelized bottoms, savory pizzas, and his not-to-be-missed pizza Bianca bread. You have to make this bread. It's like focaccia, but thinner and so much lighter. Like his first cookbook, his method is simple, and he uses one basic dough to make a range of breads and pizzas. I have been baking his no-need loaves for years, and it's very satisfying. In our fast-paced worlds, it's nice to sit back, take your time, and enjoy simple pleasures. Sometimes, to best enjoy a new book, we should look to the classics for comparison. Lori Feathers, our adult book buyer, has a book pairing you should know about. Hi, Lori. So tell us about this new book you have. Well, this is a book that was published in 2016 in translation by a, an author by the name of Marie Naye, and the book's title is La Divine. It's a really compelling, interesting book about a woman who spends most of her life denying her upbringing and denying her identity. She's actually the the daughter of a black cleaning lady, and she's light-skinned herself, the daughter, Clarice. Clarice tries to pass off as a white person, but she does so in kind of a strange way in that she has an entire life with a husband, children, a career, and no one knows that her mother is still alive. But yet she visits her mother once a month and has all of these feelings of guilt and remorse about the fact that she's hiding her identity, but she remains steadfast in doing so. So then what classic does this book remind you of? Well, it reminds me of one of my very favorite authors, Philip Roth, and his wonderful book, The Human Stain, which was made into a movie starring Anthony Hopkins that a lot of our listeners may have seen. In The Human Stain, a renowned professor at a small liberal arts school, Coleman Silk, is fired one day for referring to some people as spooks, and he's fired for making a racist comment. He, interestingly, doesn't use his best defense against being fired, and that is that he himself is black, but rather he lets himself be fired and all of the horrible consequences that follow uh, befall him because he's not willing to admit that he's lived most of his life denying his uh, ethnicity. He decided that he was going to join the Navy earlier in his life and claimed on his forms that he was white. He passes himself off as Jewish through most of his life, including through his marriage, and all his professional colleagues think that he's white as well. He too has a real issue, though, with his mother, and he pretty much 
goes to her when he decides to make this decision to pass as white and tells her he's going to do it and therefore kind of severs all of his ties with his mother again in the face of deep-seated and horrible emotional consequences to himself. So how does reading The Human Stain inform our reading of Law Divine? Well, I think that it informs it in a little bit of a unique way insofar as with both of these protagonists, Coleman and Clarice, we see the ways that that they try to both be someone who they're not and fit into a society that they aspire to belong to, but yet they constantly feel a sense of alienation. They're part of that society and accepted in that society because they're living lies. But at the same time, they never authentically feel part of it. And there's this disassociation between who they are and who they want to be. That's very painful for both of them. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this, Lori. Thank you, Jack. It was a pleasure. That's it for episode four of Interrobing Podcast. New episodes of Interrobing Podcast are posted every week, so be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The podcast is produced by Interrobing Books in Dallas, Texas. Our music was composed by Carlos Guajardo. I'm Jack Freeman. We hope to see you in the store soon. Have a great week and read fearlessly. Fearlessly.